Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and other assorted gender assignations. Welcome back to the Bored to Death Bingecast, where we take TV shows, shows and movies and binge them in easily digestible chunks. I am Jay Winger, being joined by... Z. Chris. And we are back for part five of our binge of Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, where we left off. The crew of the White Base were starting to crack a little bit under the constant strain of being perpetually under attack in enemy territory. Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, Bright had uh, basically collapsed from exhaustion and grief because uh, Ryu because Ryu had died in like the previous episode, and even uh, Mirai was starting to crack a little bit under the strain because she had to step up to take command while Bright was in uh, well, Med Bay. Not only that, but she also has to essentially pilot. The white base also. Yeah. Uh, which one of the things I never quite understood was the fact that they're, they use a steering wheel. Like an old-fashioned looking steering wheel. Like to, the, yes, like the, you, the, the, the ship's wheel. Yeah. Thing. It's, it's much things we watch, like, I don't know, Power Rangers, and you question a steering wheel on a spaceship? At least they can go up and down like this. How do you punch like this? I don't know. Are we talking about the Zords or something else? Oh, just the Zords. Okay. Well... You're trying to apply logic to Tokusatsu. Yeah. <laughs> at least what you don't do when it comes to Sentai stuff uh, like that. At least a spaceship, you push forward, it goes down. You push up, it goes, yeah, you it pull goes up back, and it goes up. You turn left, you turn right. That's all you need, spaceships. Yeah, or in the case of the one episode where they had to get a uh, Zaku or a uh, enemy mobile suit off of it and flip it upside down. Hey, that's it. The slow movement, they were all wanting, they were doing laps around the walls. I don't know, I think those, I think the three uh, kids, Cats, Let's, and Kika, were having a little bit of, you know, difficulty with that, because they were tumbling, like they were in a dryer. I would do a Imagine the chefs. Instead of cooking and cutting, you I want to see what happened with all the knives flying all over the place. They hit the wall, and next thing you know, the knives fly by them, like, you mean, you mean the one cook that they have on board? Oh, that's true. The guy who made the sauce. That's right. He got his salt. He's a very happy cook. Even though he, For now. You know what I mean? Like, got stabbed during the oop-de-loop. <laughs> during the loop-de-loop. Um, so, but they... Also, in the last uh, episode, I believe they were being lured into a trap that had been set by Makuve. And that's when a mega particle beam can yeah. had shot at them at the uh, left side uh, launcher for, you know, their mobile suits. Uh, the hangar, essentially. Yeah, and they disabled one of its engines, Yeah. Too. So they had to basically crash land. So. Um, and meanwhile, Bright's been in bed the entire time. Because, man, they're never going to take a nap ever again. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, he'll come out, of the, come out of the med bay. It's like, Mira, you had one job. <laughs> God I mean, damn, one piece. I, I take a nap for five minutes and you crash the ship. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. It's not as bad as the Enterprise D at the end of Star Trek Generations, where <laughs> half true. the ship blew up and the other half crash landed onto a planet. Yep. And it's like, I think, like, Picard found a few things from his quarters or office that managed to survive, and I think, like, but... What happened to the goldfish? <laughs> that wasn't a goldfish. Or that whatever. was a lionfish. What? Yeah, you know what I mean. This yeah. fish. Did the fish survive? <laughs> I don't fish think so. Space. 
<laughs> no, no, it, it, it fell over and it suffocated to death. Still, the crashing scene of the Enterprise still gave us one of the funniest moments in the series when Data swore. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> Why are we talking about Star Wars? We're here to talk about Star Bulls Wars. You What is wrong with my brain? Why did I do that? I mean Star Trek. Why are we talking about Star Wars or Star Trek? We're here to talk about Gundam. Space fights? Space fights, there you go. Um, Ships that, crash landing? Ships crash landing. That ship wouldn't be quite <laughs> fish Now I'm picturing a giant data mech of some sort. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's a lot better than a giant data, data mech it, versus a giant, like, Borg mech or well, something. It, it, well, it came Because you know the Borg would, would build one of those things if they, if they saw any purpose to it. Well, I think the closest that we got to something like that was in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, and then let's oh the, the the giant steam Cyberman yes <laughs> yes that one and then there was also the uh, Japanese mechs from Batman Ninja I still need to see that that's a future future Ooh. binge pass thing uh, he's seen it but he has you and I have not so. no I have oh well I have not so you and I can watch you that you yourself blessed <laughs> it's fuck you I will make my own decision thank you it's not that bad. Just lower your expectations and just watch it with an open mind. <laughs> Which is what I tend to do with these with these things. I'm sorry, Batman. You can't, I can't lower Batman's expectations. Batman's pinnacle of God, Superman, superheroes. He's awesome. Mm. We'll get back to that one later. Yes, let's. Uh, we've rambled on enough for this. We're not doing a ramble cast. We're here to do a bench cast. So let's get to the bench. And we're back. Following the binge of five episodes, uh, as we sort of, as we move into Operation Odessa and then deal with the aftermath, uh, this se- series of episodes introduced the Black Tri Stars, or like Ace Pilots. Yeah, I'm guessing. Um, they were gonna last a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you. Uh, with the prequel series, the Gundam The Origin, mm-hmm. uh, it shows them uh, in, I guess I could say, their early days, because when it, when it first shows their, the team, it shows them with the Zaku 1s okay. in their colors, and it shows them during the uh, the battle in which they were the ones actually responsible for capturing General Rebel. Okay. So that's one of the that's one of the reasons why when General Rebel found out that they were coming to Earth, that's why he was so surprised. Because because mm, he's had dealings with them before. Yes, because simply because they captured him during a major battle. A couple of uh, a trio of rednecks, <laughs> like the Tremor Brothers from Smoking Aces, crossed with Yosemite Sam. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the accents alone. Just I was just I couldn't stop snickering every single time. To they, be honest, they open their mouths. To be honest with you, I kind of want to watch the episode with the Japanese track on it just so I can hear what they sound like in Japanese. <laughs> My guess, they probably have a Kansai accent going, because that's sort of the bumpkin uh, accent in Japan, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's like the southern redneck Japan. Sort of. Okay. And I guess every country has their rednecks. Yeah. Do they all have banjos? No. That's that's a uniquely American affliction. But as Foxworthy once described, redneck is a glorious absence of sophistication. Which it is. <laughs> Does, it can be temporary or long-term. Most of us have had a redneck moment. <laughs> I, 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 worked in, or I worked and lived in Richmond for 15 years, so I know exactly what that's like. Yep. Um, but, yeah, the Black Tri-Stars had their own uh, 
three Mex uh, the Doms. Yeah, which if you were paying attention to Ramaral, he ordered for those suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Macuve basically said, said no. Yeah, <laughs> even though at first he was told yes, but then he was told no afterwards. Like, oh hey, you're not getting these. Yeah. Why? Why not? Uh, so a lot of pe- a lot of people think that if uh, Ramaral had the Dom. It suits. might have gotten the, the 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 battle with Gundam may have turned a little differently. Um, yep. uh, this sequence of episodes also introduced the the like what I what I refer to as the surfboards or the or the goblin gliders for the uh, for the mobile suits was there uh, riding on the back of them like the Green Goblin and Spider Man. Yeah, but the the only difference is that uh, those gliders for that the Guffs were using uh, had a crew on board. Yeah. Well, so and then uh, Gundam got its own in the G Fighter. Yeah. We uh, call it the cash cow. Because the toys, merchandise, and galore. <laughs> yeah, that was... Gotta get all the accessories for my Gundam. <laughs> my Gundam is 100% complete. I got, <laughs> I, got, I got all the accessories. Apologies to any any uh, people out there who actually talk like that. <laughs> no apologies at all. Come on. It's like you got to understand that we are going to have fun with that sort of voice. But... Um, anyway... But uh, yeah, well, like any other franchise, merchant—it's like it's like merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Where the real money of the franchise is made. (laughs) Yeah, it was some definitely a lot of that going on. Uh, But one one thing I kind of want to sort of touch base on is, and I've noticed this over the course of the series that they tend to each side has nicknames. For the other side's units, yeah. Until unless they uh, find out what the what the what units the, are actually called, yeah. Like the like the Zeon referred to the white base as the, the Trojan, Trojan horse. horse. Although, granted, they're still referring to it as the Trojan horse even after they learn what it's actually called. Yeah, probably because they're so used to calling it that. They're used to calling it that, and it may be that the that the intel hasn't disseminated throughout Zeon. Enough for everybody to get the get the memo. So they re- keep referring to it as the as the Trojan horse because that's what they expect people will understand it's called. Yeah, uh, and then there was also the uh, the gun parry, which is used as like a transport for uh, either supplies, the, the troops, gun, or the Gundam. The Gundam mods, yeah. Um, which they call the ice box plane. <laughs> well, that's how it looks. It's true. Uh, we haven't really seen too much of the. Of the Federation doing the same thing for the Xeon units, though, but then they seem to pick up the intel on the on the Xeon units pretty quickly. Yeah, they do. Uh, Otherwise, they just sort of refer to like like they refer to as the Guff is like the the blue Zaku or the or whatever until they find out it's called a Guff, and then then they start using. Then the, they start calling it why what it's actually called. Then again, we're only seeing the white base there, and everybody. All the staff on White Base seem to keep themselves informed on all that stuff pretty qu- pretty quickly. So they have good intelligence reports. Mm-hmm. They have a spy in there somewhere. You know they do. Well, yes, that was in the last episode. Besides Zeon, besides Zeon, so far we've seen three Zeon spies. One got shot. One got arrested. The other one's on White Base now. Yeah, because um, that was one of the uh, twists that came up in the. 
first episode of the of this binge, uh, episode twenty two, Matilda's Rescue, because we we finally see General Revel uh, firsthand. I don't think we'd actually seen him. You just heard his. We name. just heard his name, uh, but this time we finally get to meet him and some of his uh, some of his counsel. And he addresses one of them, you know, General Elrond. And then we cut to Makuve, and he drops that name. I was like, wait, wait. Did that, was that the same name? And then Chris was like, yes, that was. I was like, okay. Well, this is, what happens, that. This is also what happens when you've watched this series one too many times. Fair. Uh, but he ends up getting caught, like, and arrested two episodes later. <laughs> yeah, when uh, Amuro and Sailor, which are in the G armor, which is a combination of the G fighter with the Gundam, um, they spot a Federation uh, plane, plane essentially coming out of a Xeon, uh, basically like a land ship, essentially what it is. And they're like, "Huh? Why didn't it get shot down? Let's follow it." So they followed it to uh, General uh, Revels. No, it was Elrond's ship. Yeah, but they but they were looking at it like, why wasn't it shot down? Yeah. So they followed it. It go it goes to uh, General Revels' uh, ship, basically a land sh- battleship, which is called the Big Tray. And uh, so they land the the uh, the G armor onto it. And Amro is talking to uh, Elrond. Elrond. He's, He's like, like yeah, the, your guy Judon was, uh, or Judok, or whatever his name was, is a spy. You know, because here, here's my proof, and he's yeah, showing him a picture of it of the of the plane. Yeah, and Elrond's just sort of like, I'm sorry, you saw that pulls gun. <laughs> and he proceeds to. Well, that's when Amro realizes you're the reason why. Uh, Matilda. Matilda's dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. by the way. Ms. Oh, yeah, spoilers. Uh, Matilda died. <laughs> Miss Matilda gets killed off by uh, one of the Black Tri-Stars when he uh, gets onto the front of her transport plane. Oh, we think you have the flight. She crashed into him. No, or, yeah, well, yeah, but originally she was going to be like, all right, we'll crash the ship into the ground and, you know, take, this, take the suit out. I'm assuming she was thinking that they were going to survive. Um... And uh, he goes... Yeah, because the Medeas are a bit tougher than a core fighter when it comes to crashing into a mobile suit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but uh, he goes, oh, this plane's in my way. He takes the Dom's hands and smashes it into the cockpit, and the plane crashes into the ground and flips over and then explodes in a fiery... glorious blast. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so Amuro realizes that this is the guy who's responsible for Xeon constantly being, like, one step ahead of everybody. Yeah. Uh, and it's also the reason why Operation Odessa kept getting delayed. I, I really was hoping that he would say the trope that every time. Have you told anyone else? Yes. <laughs> Have you told anybody else this information? <laughs> Good that it it's dies like, with you. Like like Water News and yep. Monsters, Inc. <laughs> um and, Although uh, they admittedly hid that one very, very carefully, you know, you didn't immediately suspect anything when he first brought that up, because. But at any rate, we're talking Gundam, not uh, Pixar. Examples are good. Yes. Um, but anyway, so uh, well, his little uh, lackey, essentially, who's another Zeon spy. He goes out into the hallway with, like, three or four other Federation officers. And they're just like, you don't go anywhere. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, how this conversation goes? We might have some questions for you. Yeah, exactly. So, 
they're listening in and they're recording the whole thing. And uh, I mean, give credit to those soldiers. So much of the time, that that never happens. In, oh yeah, they thought, they, they, in, as the trope goes, when the, when this sort of thing is happening, hey, I think we've got a traitor in the midst, and you're talking to the traitor. Nobody else is listening, and <laughs> they're not recording it from outside the room. I love how they kind of show that they might be bad guys, but they don't show the eyes completely. Yeah. Like, they walk away, you have no eyes, and they're like, "Aha, we caught you!" Now they have eyes, like, "Ah, oh, they were good guys." Yeah, they, <laughs> it's one of those little uh, tropes when it comes to Japanese animation. When it comes. For this, for this sort of thing. They, it's the shorthand for persons not trustworthy. You can't read their eyes. Exactly. <laughs> you, they, you can't look them in the eyes. Kind well, of. In the case, or in the case of Amuro, when he was blanked out, laying in bed, and his eyes were just like completely blank. Just like the lights are on, nobody's home. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, he gets shot through the door. They shoot him in the shoulder, and they're like, ah, You're under arrest. <laughs> they arrest him, and then after Stop that... Stop right there, criminal scum. <laughs> And then after that, uh, Makuve doesn't get any more information after that. And, then and that leads to the victor- for, to victory in Odessa because he was expecting Elrond's... I love when they said that they were doing the whole war plan. It's like, yes, because he didn't withdraw his forces, their line was easiest to break. Like, ah, you guys suck. So, uh, oh, and uh, Amuro also ends up killing one of the uh, members of the Black Tristar where they try to use this attack formation that they do. Where the way it's done is the one who's in the front typically has, like, you know, the melee weapon. Mm -hmm. The one behind it and the one last, uh, they both have, like, a a projectile weapon. Like, in this case, because the Rickdom, or not the Rickdoms, the Doms, have uh, basically a bazooka. uh, But when they were still using their Zakus, it was, like, heat axe. Uh, the typical Zaku machine gun, and then the third one would have a bazooka. So the way the attack usually is that if, let's say, if the first one misses... Or gets, like, grappled. Or wh- or whatever. Um, then the second one usually attacks, and then the third one attacks hits last. The, hits the coup de grace. Yes, or, exactly. It's like... So, like, I'm going to tie you up, I'm going to shoot you, I'll finish you off. <laughs> and, of course, they try doing this thing, tw- this t- specific attack twice, because it's worked for them so many times before in the past, that Amuro... Attack formation alpha. <laughs> that essentially, that uh, Amuro, because he his new type abilities are starting to... Manifest. Manifest. Uh, he's actually able to, de- to detect, oh, they're about to do something, before they even do it. Um, and so... Yeah, I remember when that, when that was going on, you were like, here it, here it is. <laughs> here it goes. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because it was like that little, like, moment where he's like, he, like, looks over his shoulder, and that's when he's able to counterattack before they even do anything. Um, and so, uh, he ends up stabbing one in the cockpit with the, uh, beam saber. And this is when Matilda's, uh, uh, Medea ends up getting... Smashed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, after that, after, oh, and during the battle, that's when they also bring up the uh, the Antarctic Treaty, which states that... No nukes. No nukes, no biological weapons. No weapons of mass destruction. Basically, yeah. Like, like, I think that this... I don't think they ever really specified when the Antarctic Treaty was signed. Regardless, they make it... It's made plain. It's a very big deal. Yeah. Because the colony that Zeon drops early on in the war, they killed 
the entire population inside by gassing them. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons. that combined with the, the colony dropping and devastating the devastation. Why, basically, like the the front section, the one that we keep seeing over and over again, that section landed on Australia. Like the other two sections, they landed like elsewhere. Mm. Um, and uh, but uh, during the battle, Makuve's gives this ultimatum, ultimatum to General Rubble. W- withdraw your troops or, or I'll launch a nuke. <laughs> or, or I'll launch a nuke. And uh, so he basically is like, you know what? I'm desperate enough to break this treaty. It's just sort of like... I'm a bad guy. I do bad yeah, It's like, I am going to win. You do not get You do not get to beat me. If you do not withdraw, I will nuke you. Which General Revel... It's just sort of like, fuck him. Keep moving. <laughs> essentially, that's what they do. And... Then they basically call his bluff. He launches the nuke, and Amro basically cuts it out of the sky. <laughs> yes, where apparently he had to s- cut a specific part, which was like right at like essentially the tip of the missile, mm-hmm. so like so it can disable it uh, or remove the the active asp- the active explosive, as it were, from the the rocket. And it basically crashes into the ground and explodes normally. Yeah, just a <clears throat> conventional explosion rather than a nuke. The more I sit here and look at this title screen, the more I realize I love old school animation. There it's, is something. There is something so nice. to it. You know what? There is one thing that one uh, animated movie that uh, from Hayao Miyazaki that uh, he wants to start off with. I just have to. Acquire it. Acquire it. Um, yeah, we do. We do. We do plan on doing some Miyazaki films in the bin, for the, the bench cast. These I have not ones, seen any of them. I keep meaning to, which no. never have. Okay, so I'm just gonna go ahead and announce this one when we start doing that. Now, it's not going to start off with Studio Ghibli. It's going to start off with the film that he actually starred with, which is Lupin the Third: The Castle of Cagliostro. Lupin the Third. <laughs> so yes, when we Zeke is happy to hear this, apparently. <laughs> so oh, Lupin is a masterpiece. Yeah, I keep hearing that too. Uh, it's 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 been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Too. It depends on what you talk about because I think it's a dad and a son. The son takes a left a while for Lupin the Third. Don't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that is one of uh, the things that we are going to eventually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I currently have the first. Actually, to be honest with you, this isn't even considered to be Studio Ghibli, but it's released under the banner of Studio Ghibli is Nasca in the Valley of the Wind. So that's another old school one that we're going to end up watching at some point. Uh, getting back to, to Gundam, but uh, after the Battle of Odessa, they uh, dis- basically discussed the arms race now going on with mo- when it comes to mobile suits because Gundam has basically changed... Everything. The war. <laughs> and it turned the it, tide. It turned the tide, and now Xeon is basically mass-producing more uh, more mobile suits, designing new and uh, new types of mobile suits yes, to, like, to try we, to counteract the threat of the Gundam. The one thing I'm surprised they don't mention is how like, you know, Gundam may, may have shook in the ground, but they also have White Base, which is a ship that is beyond anything they've seen before. All right, so slight little spoiler, but there are two, I think two other... Carrier ships that are like they're they're Pegasus class uh, ships um, in the One Year War that were made after White Base. One of them being, and we'll see this in uh, Mobile Suit Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket, is the one called the. Trying to not mess this up, 
the Blank Rival, which carries suits that are kind of similar to what White Base carries. Like, they have the mass-produced gun cannon. They have, like, a couple gym snipers. Uh, but they don't have a Gundam. There is a Gundam in this, in this particular one, but it's not being carried by the, uh, the Pegasus class that's in that. Uh, there was another one uh, called the, uh, the Thoroughbred. That's another one that was in it. And that mm-hmm. one is actually green, not white. But it's still Pegasus class. Is it called Green Base? Thoroughbred. Green base. We'll, we'll probably end up calling it the Green Base <laughs> when we get to it, but regardless. Um, and the last two ep- and the last two episodes reintroduce Char. Yes. Know? He finally uh, gets uh, reassigned to uh, essentially the C Division. It's, uh, it's called the Mad Angler Squadron, mm-hmm. and he's basically in command of a submarine at this point. Subcommanders, you know, and submarine stuff is still... It's still kind of cool. It's still relevant. Even it's even cool. when you're get, when you've got like space combat. Yeah. It's, again, we go back to the fact that I like the people who are old school veteran wars because you had the some wing fight about to happen with the the, the Zaku is coming up something like that out of the water and the guy saying like we shall not retreat we will watch this war from the front lines. Rebel. Yeah. Yes. Well, as as the submarines and the. Uh, and the gogs, the, the the amphibious mobile suits that uh, Zeon has, started attacking the Federation harbor. One of Revel's aides is like, uh, "Shouldn't you be? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be? Sh- shouldn't you pull back to the bunker, sir?" And he basically is like, "No. If we're, if we are destined to die this day, it does not matter where." And <laughs> Can we get to come on the white flag, please. <laughs> and then and he's just sitting there watching the battle from his window with his hands behind, with like, or either either his hands behind his back or through a set of binoculars. <laughs> So like a proper like a proper frontline general, not not one of those rear echelon motherfuckers. <laughs> I commented on that to Chris as we were watching. He's like, I was like, he is not some REMF. No, no. But yeah, he's one of the old school guys. Um, and um, Boone is kind of the same way. You know, he's just there. You know, his submarine is surfaced enough that he can. Wa- that he's basically watching. And he's literally back. just sitting there with a pair of binoculars in the foggiest of weather, going, <laughs> mm, "Yes, this battle's good." <laughs> uh, I see through the fog. It's my special ability. Because um, I'm an uh, old sea dog that way. But in uh, <laughs> like after oh, and by the way, the uh, the the uh, the gog also does kind of mess up the gun a little bit by piercing the armor because. The uh, it, it, and it's claws. It, it has claws for hands, and uh, it grabs the Gundam's head underwater, which is, by the way, which is where the suit is most effective since underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually pierces the armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it t- likes to use uh, frog style <laughs> jujitsu. Well, like, well, it's got the kind of like the beast in uh, Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> well, it's got the uh, I haven't seen that movie in so long. Oh. It's the oh, you uh, haven't, and it's so long. Um, and it's doing like hit and run tactics where it's like, you know, go up, either ram, either ram into it or hit it with the claws and kind of drag it a little bit and then let go. Um, basically keeps pulling Amuro out of position so he can't get a bead on it. Um, and, uh, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, attacks that it does, uh, is he literally, is it, after he gets done grabbing the Gundam from the side, it grabs it from under the chin. Mm-hmm. After that, and then starts dragging it even more. And I got to I got to give them credit for this. 
is they always seem to go after the Gundam's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the episode where uh, the one Zaku was trying to take the head off for Rama Raw and be like, oh, this will make a fine trophy for you, sir. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it was just get rid of the head. You know, It'll, it'll take out the cameras. It'll take out the Vulcan cannons. Granted, the Vulcan the Vul- cannons aren't going to work underwater anyway. Well, the Vulcan cannons didn't work against the damn thing because it was so heavily armored. I mentioned the, Vul- the ham as well. The, uh, the-, the first time it did... The first time it used its its uh, little morning star, the, the Gundam the, hammer, the Gundam hammer uh, it managed to knock it back, and he was just like, and the pilot and the Gog pilot was just like, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he tries it again, he just grabs it and yanks it out of his hand. Uh, it's like, knock that off. <laughs> so, but anyways, yeah, Amuro destroys it. Uh, the next episode, they introduce the next amphibious mobile suit, which is called a Zagok. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is basically like a gog on steroids. Essentially, yeah, uh, and it has uh, like a bunch of it has a bunch of guns built into the top of its head. So when it's doing its uh, battering ram attack underwater, it can still shoot while it's it doing gets, it. It can still shoot you until uh, it gets up close enough to you, and then it just rams itself into you. He tried to do it to the gun tank, and the gun tank was just sort of like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It tried to do it to the gun tank, but then the uh, uh, the Gundam interfered. No, it's it managed to collide with the gun tank, but it didn't knock the gun tank into the water like he was intending to do. Well, the damn thing's on Triss, not this, legs. This so. is true. But he was still planning on, like, pushing it back, and then, yeah, the Gundam comes in. And no, no, what did you think of the, uh, uh, when it was the Zagak and the Gundam underwater? <laughs> and then, uh... He's just like, uh, you know, he pulls out of the, he launches up out of the water and lures it straight into the gun tank's, uh, cannons. And just... Boom! <laughs> yeah, he, well, he doesn't destroy him. Amuro comes back down with a beam saber and slices it all the way but down to the cockpit. it stops the Zagok in its tracks, yeah. essentially, which is all that Amuro needed to be able to just... dead. Uh, and uh, where we uh, end is a uh, spy is now on board White Base, mm-hmm. and... Um, Miharu. Yes, and... Which we haven't mentioned, Miharu has met Ken, because Ken went and said, I'm leaving this base... You do my thing. And then he's like, oh, damn, I can't leave this guy by himself. Yeah, Kai, yeah Kai had his had his screw you guys and getting him. It's not, it's not so much as that. It's just that he did not want, he does not want to be a soldier at all. Yeah. Which contradicts one thing they said. If you were not going to be a soldier, we're going to capture you. We're going to imprison you for one year. And then that is like, because you guys, had, because right you guys, and yeah, Rebel basically explains, explains to them, if you decide not to, if you decide to leave the military, you will be imprisoned for one year because the people on White Base have been exposed to classified material and have been piloting classified, you know, classified technology weapons. and stuff. He basically, he, he straight up says, it's like, ordinarily you'd be imprisoned for life. But, but, it's, but you know, we're only going to do it, it's only going to be for a year because martial law. <laughs> yeah. So, but Kai... The, the other thing that confused me as well is if he's creating the base and why did he bring his military credentials to go, hey, I need his motorcycle! It, it's most likely, it's the only form of ID that he has. Yeah. So he needs a form of ID, like for anything, like hotel, uh, maybe getting a vehicle. Then again, we only just saw him briefly flash it. We don't know how quickly he, uh, how long he showed it to the guy, so much as he stopped the guy in his tracks and just sort of like... Flashes his ID, shoves the guy off, and just <laughs> drove away. Come back to this base when you need it, bye! <laughs> yeah, basically. So, uh, but yeah, he basically just leaves, which I'm pretty sure Bright and his... 
somewhat glad to get rid of him, but at the same time, he's still calling him a coward. He's uh, I, honestly, I just don't think Bright ever really liked Kai. Just Kai is not an easy person to like. No, and you know he, as I was sort of saying as we were watching, he's a jerk. Um, granted, I'm, I'm but just, he's very good at what he does. But he's a jerk. Granted, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say this: he does pop up in Zeta Gundam, and Zeta Gundam takes place in uh, 0087. So he's. Uh, Older, mm. he's um, mellowed out a bit. Mellowed out, mellowed out a little bit, um, and he's he's not a cow- he's not really a coward anymore. He's he's definitely changed. He's more he's matured more mm. by the time of the events of uh, Zeta. Um, I mean, war is going to have is going to have an effect on people, and by that point, I imagine he's probably seen a lot of war. <laughs> yeah, thanks to all. His, yeah. you know everything on board uh, White Base, but uh, but yeah, after he le- uh, tries leaving White Base, he meets Miharu. She kind of takes him in for a little bit. He gets his suspicions of things because he finds a gun in her little basket, um, and uh, I think that maybe in his head he was thinking, oh, she just carries this for because protection because we're in the middle of a war. Yeah, so that's that's how I read it too. He didn't. But uh, they, he didn't jump to conclusions. Did he give him false information about the? Dead? I think I think so. That's what I Because uh, he's probably you know he's probably not sure, mm-hmm. but he's saying that just in case. So he's mm-hmm. kind of like he's he's hedging his bets. Yeah, he's BSing it because uh, he he basically because says, while he doesn't want to be you know doing all this, he's also still loyal to his friends on the white base. You know, he doesn't want to see them end up getting screwed over because he fucked up. Yeah, so he goes back, and it's not like the same case of when um, <clears throat> Amuro deserted them, where Amuro basically just goes, packs his stuff, and just gets on Gundam and takes off. Kai, on the other hand, just grabs his stuff and leaves, and he's like, I'm out. He and He didn't take anything... From the ship with him. The only he, thing he took was his own personal belongings and Amro's toolbox. Well, that's because but Amro, that, gave, Amro gave it to him. He's like, here, you can probably pawn this to get money. <laughs> he comes back to him probably says, it's worth nothing. He's like, but I paid a lot for this. <laughs> yeah, because Amro's a naive little twerp. Um, so, uh, yeah, our uh, our binge ended with Miharo being on white base. As White Base is basically leaving. Yes, because she is a spy for the Xeon where uh, one of the Mad Angler Squadron guys gave her credentials and a Federation uniform and a bag. And orders from Char to get on that base, tell me where it's going. Because Char is like, you know, his pride is wounded because he's this ace pilot and he wasn't able to defeat the Gundam. And he's just like, I must defeat it. Um... So yeah, uh, his his pride <coughs> demands it. Yeah, he's he's one of those like prideful uh, people. It's kind of like uh, I, I kind of want to say it's like Darth Vader at the end of uh, the first Star Wars movie. Because remember he, you know, like when he kind of like got blasted off away because of the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. and then knocked you, him out, knocked him out, and yeah, out of uh, formation and everything. Yeah, it's kind of it's. Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of. Except, 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 he never had revenge against Han Solo. Granted, I mean, yeah, he was somewhat responsible for him being frozen, but but that was just business. Yeah. At that point, the only thing Vader cared about was getting Luke. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, 
the next episode that we're going to see, which is called A Spy on Board, we also get to see our first underwater. No. Oh, yeah, in, that, in the last episode of the of this sequence that we just watched. Um, oh, no, which one was the, it? Uh, uh, the next episode across is the, Across the, the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean. Ocean. Uh, we're going to see our first underwater mobile armor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, because uh, Revel did mention that the, some of the new designs that the, uh, the, the Xeon were producing were being called mobile armor instead which, of mobile suits. Which the first one that we technically see, which I think is like a, was like a prototype mobile armor, was being used by Makuve and Cassilia. Yeah, the, that one from uh, that episode. The, the one that looks like a UFO with landing gear. Yeah. Uh, every time I think of mobile armors, there's a Gundam game, a fine game for the PS2. Are we talking <laughs> about Dynasty, the Dynasty Warriors no, ones? Not Dynasty Warriors. It was a side scroll fighting game. And oh, mobile, I know the one. I know got, the one. You have to pick one of the mobile armors, and it just took over the whole side of the screen. So it's like in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 with the Sentinel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, big thing, tiny bit of gun. I'm like, well, Or damn. the big giant, like, blob creature from, like, the final boss in story mode. Yeah. <laughs> one of those. Um, but, uh, so, uh, so what'd you guys think of the underwater mobile suits? I did like them. Uh, I found it funny. You know, I just kept thinking of them as, like, big frogs. Especially... The first Gog that we that we see fight, it like tried to like grab the 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 G fighter or whatever when it was on the ground. And oh, the G, it, the G, the no, the uh, the G bull. Yeah, that one. And it like tries to grab it, and when it just sort of pulls backward, it just uses that claw to just launch itself forward. <laughs> I was just like, this is like fucking Toad style here. Yeah, and it uh, when it's underwater for its you know to maneuver more in the water, its arms actually tuck in mm-hmm. to the shoulders. I do like that they show some of the work in how some of these trans- how some of these transformations or whatever uh, take place. You know, seeing stuff sort of folding in or. Uh, Are you when, talking about when you first see the uh, the G armor turn back into the G fighter? The, yeah, and that, it shows that, like the inside of it. Yeah, that's that's stuff. You know, it actually shows some of the stuff like connecting and you know the the, like clamps. the clamps coming into coming into position. I'm like, it's little touches like that. Granted, they reuse animations a whole lot in this stuff, and I'm like, eh. sometimes it's not really necessary to see it over. Yeah, and I'm just like, you're just padding out the episode here. Granted, I get it. It's cheaper to produce that well, pl- well, plus it also goes with the narration. Yeah. A lot of it does tend to take place <laughs> during those opening, the episode opening and uh, narration things. Which, thankfully, we're now past the like first ten episodes where it was like the same narration for over every episode. Now it's more like recapping some of what some of recent events instead of, here's how we got to where we are today. <laughs> Zeke, what about you? What did you think of them? I like the black tri-star bell. You like that I do kind of like the black tri-star. Especially, not, it, it helps that those pilots were more unique than some of these just random it's dudes. Not, it's more unique. It's just more the fact of the way they look. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not much of a world combat guy. Are we talking about the pilots or the suits? The suits. You said how I think about uh, the doms. The, yeah. the, the MOPA suits and stuff like that in the war. I didn't like them as much. I like the, the black trisons. The, the yeah, the their their suits, the doms. Yeah. Um, here's the uh, 
Well, here's the funny thing is that the the uh, the colors that you see the, the the Doms have, that's the colors that the Black Tristars use. Mm-hmm. Again, when we get to Gundam the Origin, you'll see their versions of the Zaku One and the Zaku Two and the Zaku High, Mo- High the Mobility. They all have that color, so those colors are meant to be their colors, uh, and they're the first ones to really get to use the uh, the Doms. Mm-hmm. Um, so after. Because of everything that they did during the war, the Doms stay with those colors to pay tribute to the Black Tri-Stars. Um, now, again, I'm kind of getting somewhat spoilery here. That's uh, cool. In 8th MS Team, the first Xeon mobile suit that you see in that is the test version for the Doms. The bottom half is the Dom, and this is in space, mind you. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it has the legs. Mm-hmm. The top half is a Zaku. Hmm. So that's basically a, uh, a test module for yeah. it, uh, for the uh, the Zaku in it, um, and uh, kind of like going back to the Battle of Odessa. You see, I know you don't see mobile suits except for the Gundam and the Gun Cannon. Uh, those are like the only two mobile suits that you see in there. But there were actually mobile suits on both sides. You just don't really see them. Uh, there's an episode in Eighth MS Team where you see three Zakus that survived that battle. Uh, one of them has its uh, shoulder shield completely gone, and it's carrying a uh, shield that one of the uh, mass-produced gems, uh, uh, you'll see them later on, yeah. uh, it's carrying a Federation mobile suit shield as a replacement for it. And I'm just like, alright, that's... that's a- I mean, what you do after you know in the heat of battle, you pick up whatever is necessary to keep fighting yeah and then you just go from there um it happened all the time in like world war ii people would like take uh german guns and stuff as partly as trophies and partly to use them because maybe they were maybe the soldier found them better or more reliable than whatever they whatever the american side i mean we all did we all did it in call of duty yep Uh, um Dumped whatever you were using for an MP5 or whatever. So, all right, so let me ask you guys this real quick. Amongst the character deaths that we have seen so far, which one was the most shocking for you? Probably still Ryu. Still Ryu? Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I mean, none of them were really shocking to me. The one that affected me the most would be still Rom. I mean, I, I like the uh, character. Rom Baral? Yeah, I still like the character so much more than anything else. Because I remember, I don't he, know that I would call his shocking. Because that was what Chris asked. That's the thing. Like, shocking. Like, all well, of them have been really shocking to me. Is more well, the, you, the only reason why I asked that question is because I remember what you said when they first introduced him, and you're like, God, I hope they don't kill him in a stupid way. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I asked you. I was just like, So, uh, how'd you feel about his death? Was it a was it a stupid way or was it a good death? It was a good death. Okay. Yeah, went out like a, he went out like a hero. Yeah. Instead of a, instead why, of a chump. Like, that's why I said like, I wouldn't. I couldn't say any of these deaths are shocking. Mm. Maybe because of the Gundam stuff I played and stuff like that. Since this is my first time watching Gundam yeah. the original, but I do know certain characters died. Do you know certain things happen because of the Dynasty games like that? And I'm sitting there like, okay, I know this person's gonna die, so it's not really shocking. But mm-hmm. which one affected me most would have to be one one lousy. Right. Uh, but, uh, Rumble Rousey, did you? <laughs> There's a crossover for you. I mean, I mean, it's really better. I've heard, I've heard Benedict Cumberbatch try to pronounce Penguin, and he pronounces it as Penguin. <laughs> I mean, that he's British. They have weird ways of pronouncing, pronouncing things. No, 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 no. Even Graham Norton was like, 
win. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyways, um, yeah, uh, for me, when I first watched this, I think the one character I was not expecting to see get killed off was Ryu. Uh, I he, honestly, he struck me as one of those like d- dependable guys that was going to last at least until the last third of the series, uh, and he he doesn't. No, <laughs> but he did. He was he was still you know like uh, he was still a good character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably one of the favorable uh, characters in this one. But you know it's kind of like what they say with Game of Thrones: don't have a favorite character because most likely they will get killed. Don't off. get attached to your favorites. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's, a, that's another future uh, binge cast thing: is Game of Thrones. <laughs> you got the HBO thing, so. Yep. But um, but yeah, uh, and um, so. But yeah, it was a good binge. I'd say my favorite episode is still probably is probably gonna. I'd say uh, the Battle of Odessa. Black Tristar is uh, is a close second, but... You just wish that they had lasted at least a little bit longer? Yeah, just because they were... They were more interesting than your than your generic mobile suit pilots that you tend to see... Uh, that you tend to see Amuro going up against. They weren't the red shirts. They were the yellow shirts. Except for the one that got killed in the first episode. Yeah. He, he, he still wasn't the red shirt. He was... Generic yellow shirt. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he had just gotten his promotion. Yep. <laughs> Finally got rid of that red shirt. And no, he, he forgot to do the one thing. He forgot to burn the red shirt. Instead, he kept it in the actual thing. Just can you need to change. Alternately, he was two weeks away from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks away from getting to, getting to go back to Zeon. <laughs> but I do want to know why the, the submarine people look like they're from Russia. It's probably because like that's the trope when the, it comes thing, to when it comes to. Well, the thing is that like I think is it because of the coats like the outfits that they're yeah. Wearing? Most likely, what it is is that when they're uh, because they're in they're like this uh, this part takes place in uh, Dublin, Ireland. It's pretty damn cold out there, and they're in the middle of the ocean. They're in the they're in the North Sea or the Northern Atlantic. No, even it's and cold. <laughs> Uh, no, sorry, times. sorry, Ireland. It's fucking cold. <laughs> there, there's a reason why they spend the most of the time in pubs. <laughs> the only thing I think is the uh, the people who dress up for uh, Hunt for Red October, the way they had that those outfits, the exact same outfits they were wearing. Like I said, it's sort of the trope yeah. to me for a submarine commander is going to have those coats if they go above deck at any at any whether they're at port or at sea, they're above deck. They're going to have the great coat on. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, I, I got some Russian vibes off that as well. I was like, is this guy supposed to be Russian? The name like Boone, probably not. But then again, you can't really make those sorts of assumptions. In, uh, it also in doesn't Gundam. help. It also doesn't help that nobody in this particular in these particular animes have accents. So it's apart from the Canadian accent that keeps popping up in the high pitch. Most likely, most likely they got they got. You just keep hearing "sorry" <laughs> all all the time. What, what was the company that did? the first half of Dragon Ball Z, Ocean. Because it's known as the Ocean Dub, uh, which is based up in Canada. I'm wondering if, if whether or not a lot of those voice actors were involved with this. I mean, it's a gig. I'm sure the voice actors are, weren't going to turn it down. <laughs> eh. This was back before voice acting was actually seen as something... Uh, that should get paid for better and look for quality people. No, no, no. That still goes granted, on. Granted, early. it still goes on, but it's like nowadays voice actors get treated with a little bit more respect. 
Oh, yeah. Especially, like, some of the veteran voice actors that are out there. And I figured out which gun that I was talking about. The mobile the mobile for the game is Big Zom. Oh, yeah, you'll see that later <laughs> on. I can't wait for uh, Jay's response to that. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to be like, God damn. <laughs> um, yeah. Say he's got legs. I mean, most of the mobile mobile things have legs. <laughs> no, no, well, this is a mobile armor. Because, uh, like, the ones that we've seen, the, well, the one that the we one, saw before the was... The one that we saw was... Was, was, uh, was basically, like, again, a UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the one that we're going to see in Across the Atlantic Ocean, that was underwater. So it has, you know, everything in for it's And you know on. it's an underwater one because it's probably going to have fins. No. <laughs> no. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It makes fishy fishes. Fishy faces. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've we've uh, been talking here for for a while. I think it's about time we wrap it up. So until next week. Until next week, uh, our next points. Uh, this as we're recording this, I am finally reporting back to work now that the lockdown has finally been lifted at, <laughs> lifted at my office. So like uh, that's going to affect our schedule a little bit, but we're hoping it's not going to disrupt things too much. We have a schedule. As well, I try to. We try to get these things done. Well, prior to this, we've been basically doing it whenever. Now we're going to have to actually figure out when we can fit it into my schedule, not just your schedules. Uh, but so may, maybe we'll uh, have to let some schedule slipping going on. Go on, maybe not. But we're hoping not to have it disrupt things too much. But that's for us to worry about, not so much for you. But for uh, Zeke and Chris, I'm Jay, and we'll see you next time.